Good morning. All right. First service was better at that, by the way. But who's who? There's not a competition. Uh, should be. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. That's better. That's better. I'm so excited to be here with you as we continue this exploration of the life and journey of faith of Abraham. And uh, what a remarkable life he lived. You know, it's it was a life of adventure. And as I as I read his story, you know, I think it's it's easy to read about Abraham and see him as this larger than life figure who is difficult for us to relate to. And, and that is kind of true. Abraham was magnificent. He was amazing. There's no one else like Abraham. But here's the thing about Abraham. A phrase, as I've been reading about his life, a phrase that Pastor Craig likes to use quite often keeps popping in my head. It's a holy mess. A holy mess. Craig says that a lot. Uh, the church is a holy mess. We're a holy mess. We're holy because God is with us. We're a mess because we're human. And uh, Abraham was... He went through seasons where he was just a holy mess. But here's the, that makes him relatable, I think, but here's more to it. Abraham was called by God to do this extraordinary thing, and then he was blessed and equipped by God to live out that calling. Well, guess what? Right here, right now, in 2022, God does the same thing. He calls us to do these extraordinary things for him, and then he blesses us and equips us to live out that calling. And so when we read about Abraham, there's actually a lot we can learn about God today and what he wants to do in us and through us, through his story. I'm spending way more time in the Old Testament than I have ever in the past, and it just keeps coming clearer and clearer to me that, that uh, God's love, his majesty, his grace is so apparent in Jesus Christ, and it's found all throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament just speaks of the coming of Christ. And the accounts from Abraham's life that we're going to look at this morning are filled with the reality of God's immeasurable love, His immeasurable power, His immeasurable grace. Specifically, we're going to look at the the covenant that God establishes with Abram in Genesis chapter 17. And it's in this chapter, there's this transformation that God brings about in Abram's life and those in his household. We're going to look at what that means for us today. Because what God does in Abraham's life has ramifications all throughout human history and even reaches in here today to crosswinds in Canandaigua in 2022. From this scripture and interaction between God and Abraham, we're going to see some amazing truths about God's love for us and what God wants to do in and through us. And we're going to be looking at Genesis 17 again, verses 1 through 14. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and get that open. The words will be on screen as well. We're going to be looking at a lot more scripture than that, but it's too much to read in in one sitting. I'll lose you all if I read too much scripture. So we're just going to read Genesis 17, verses 1 through 14. But I'm going to invite us to bow our heads, close our eyes, and go to God in prayer before the reading of his word this morning. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this day that you've brought us safely into. And as we just sang, God, there's no place that we would rather be than here in your love. Here in your love, God, and one way you show your love to us is, is through the truth of your holy scriptures, and, and we're so thankful, God, that we have them here today before us, and that you still speak to us through the reading of your word. And so, God, open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to what you have for us in your holy scriptures, we pray in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Genesis 1, or 17, 1 through 14, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. 
that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Boy, that's a lot of foreskins and fleshes in that passage of Scripture. We're going to come back to that, actually, in a few minutes. But let's get that out of our heads for just a moment. Get that distraction out of our heads for just a moment. We'll come back to it. But the events, let's, let's get some background of the events taking place here. Genesis 17, what happens here is taking place 24 years after God first called Abram out of his homeland of Haran. 24 years. And then it's 13 years after he took Sarah's wife Hagar, or Sarah's servant Hagar as his wife, and had a son with her named Ishmael. He's 99 years old. He's 99 years old. And it's interesting, Genesis 16 leaves off with the birth of Ishmael, Genesis 17 picks up 13 years later. There's a 13-year gap there where we don't hear much about Abram at all. And I I kind of imagine what happened here. Abram settled in this land known as the region of Mamre, and and he's built these tents, and he's settled. And I think two things are possible here, maybe three. One, he's he's 99 years old raising a 13-year-old, so he may be just too exhausted to do anything else. I don't know. But more realistically, more seriously, he's probably, he's, he's waiting He's waiting for God because God had made this promise to him and and God said, I'm going to make you the the father of many nations and and leave this land and I'm going to give it to you and and here Abram is. None of that's really come about as far as he can tell. Have you ever been waiting for God? Have you ever been waiting for God? But I think another thing's possible also. I think maybe, and this can happen to us when we're waiting on God, is Abram got into a place of routine and familiarity. And so there's not much to talk about between the 13 years that passed in Genesis 16 and 17. But then God shows up in Genesis 17 to remind Abram of his calling, what he's done for him, and what he plans to do for him. And it's through this interaction between God and Abram that that there's just so much said and done here, we can't cover it all, but I've, I've pulled out what I think are three really valuable truths about God and what what God wants to do in and through us that that are valuable for us today. And the first truth is this. God loves us as we are. 
Get that. God loves us as we are. This becomes an obvious truth when we consider God's call on Abram. Back in Genesis 12, God speaks to Abram and he tells him, leave your homeland, leave all you're familiar with and take your family with you and go to this new land. And that new land that I tell you to go to, I'm gonna give it to you. It's gonna be yours and it's gonna be an inheritance to your, to your kin for all generations. And he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna protect you, I'm gonna make your name great. You're gonna have more offspring than the very stars in the sky. That's what God tells them. That alone, that that promise alone shows the depths of God's love for Abram. But I think it becomes even more apparent how much God loves Abram, just the way he is when we consider the things God doesn't say to Abram in that call. He doesn't say, I'm going to have you go here and inherit this land, but first, before you leave, you need to take care of that. You need to start doing this. You need to stop doing that. You need to give up that sin. You need to reconcile that relation. You need to forgive that person. You seek forgiveness from that person. He doesn't say all that. He calls him just as he is. God loved Abram enough the way he was to get him started on this journey to become who he created him to be. Praise God that we can come to Jesus as we are and God seeks us the way we are. There's nothing we have to do first. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded a few months ago, I went to visit a gentleman who was in hospice care. And I went to his home and his health had deteriorated so much that they had him on morphine. He wasn't awake. He wasn't aware that I was there. He was in his final days and uh, his family was there and I could tell from talking to them that they were, they were worried. They were concerned about the condition of his soul and where he was headed when he died. And naturally so, their, their loved one is facing mortality. So you start to think about what comes next. And in that moment, as I was with them, God reminded me of Jesus' interaction with the thief on the cross. And I shared with them this story. And, and you have this thief on the cross who, who clearly had turned his back on the life that God would have wanted for him. No, God does not want us to live as thieves and get, get convicted to the point of death. That's not what God wants for us. And so clearly this thief had turned his back on the life that God wanted for him. But when this thief sees Jesus on the cross, what does he do? He yells out to Jesus. He says, you are the son of God. And what's Jesus' response? He says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, sorry, too late. If you had had this realization just a few weeks ago, maybe I could have done some work in your life. You could have made some changes. Then you could be with me in paradise. He doesn't say that. He says, no, today you will be with me in paradise. God loves us the way we are and pursues us the way we are. I remember as I prayed over that gentleman in that, that home, Remember, he wasn't awake, his eyes weren't moving, he wasn't doing anything. I held his hand when I prayed, and he didn't hold my hand back, but I held his hand when I prayed. And as soon as I said amen, he squeezed my hand and he raised it up. <laughs> yeah? That's, that's God loving him the way he was, and, and I think in that moment, he had this piece of, he knew where he was going, and it gave the family such great assurance. Now let's jump back to Genesis 17. All right. God loves us the way we are. God reaffirms his love for Abram and he establishes this vastly important covenant of circumcision. And at this point, remember, Abram has been on this journey with God for 24 years. Remember I said earlier, Craig's comment he likes to make, we're a holy mess. 
in that 24-year period, there were many times where Abram was a holy mess. We can't get into all the mistakes that he made, but multiple times, Abram let fear derail his trust for God. Multiple times, Abram tried to take matters into his own hands and do things his way instead of God's way and just mess things up. If we're being honest, Abram wasn't a very good husband to either of his wives quite often. More than once, he lied about Sarah being his sister and was okay with other men having sex with her just merely to save his own life. That's certainly not the kind of husband God wanted Abram to be. Certainly not being a man of integrity and honesty. And God knew these things about Abram, but he still loved him just as he was enough to establish this covenant with him. And the same is true for us today. God knows these things about us. He knows the mistakes we've made. He knows the sins we're struggling with. And he loves us even as we are. He loves us enough to call us to this new life that he has for us. So that first truth is God loves us as we are. And that's the truth. But hear me, it's not the whole truth. It's not the whole truth. Here's actually the second part of this truth. God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. We see this unfolding in this passage of scripture. God's plan, this this effort, this desire on God's part to transform Abram into the man that God had created him to be, to make Abram this new creation. And unfolding before our eyes in Genesis 17 is Abram being made new. God, through his words and actions, is clearly saying to Abram, I love you just as you are. I've loved you through all those mistakes and all those times we'll pretend didn't happen or we'll forget about, we'll leave them in the past. But I love you too much to leave you the way you are. And so this transformation takes place in Abram and it's made evident in two distinct ways. Two distinct ways. The first way is God transforms Abram's name. Names were far more meaningful and significant in Abram's day than they are for us today, but it cannot be overstated how important this name change was. God says in Genesis 17, 5, He says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Why did God change Abram's name? It was to mark this this calling he had on his life. Listen closely. He said, I'm changing your name, for I've made you the father of many nations. God said, I've made you. Consider the the verb tense that God uses there. He uses a past tense verb. He says, I have made you the father of many. He's not saying, I'm going to make you. He doesn't say that. He says, I have made you. Abram, who's sitting here, 99 years old, doesn't have a son really of his own. He's got a son from a foreign wife. He doesn't have a son of his own heritage. And God says, I have made you the father of many nations. God made him. God is already at work transforming Abraham into who he created him to be. It's in this interaction that God also changes the name of his wife, Sarah, to to, to Sarah. And he gives Abraham's unborn son, not even conceived yet son, his name of Isaac. God is naming who he created these people to be. New names for people being made new. New names for people being made new. So God transforms Abraham's name and then he transforms Abraham's body. Here God establishes with Abraham the covenant of circumcision. 
The significance of this is largely lost on us today because circumcision is such a common thing. In the United States, about 75% of males are circumcised at birth. It's not a big deal. I remember when Silas was born. We brought him back to the hospital. The nurse came and took him away. Ten minutes later, he came back circumcised. He was sleeping when he came back. It was not that big a deal. But what God established with Abraham in this covenant circumcision was an extremely big deal. That, that means just as much for us today as it did for Abraham then. What God is doing here through this covenant of circumcision is, is making a declaration. God is saying, Abraham, through you and your offspring, I'm establishing my chosen people. I'm making my holy nation. This Abraham is the beginning of my kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. It starts now through this covenant of circumcision. And God says, Abraham, and my people who are called by your name through you, or my people who are called by my name through you, are to be a holy people, set apart, set apart from the influences and wickedness of the world, to be a light that shines towards God for all the world to see. God chose the physical act of circumcision to mark the unbreakable promise that he was making with his people and to mark the identity of God's chosen people. So with this name change and physical change, God was making Abraham very literally a new person. He was being made new. And with that newness came a great command from God, a great responsibility from God. We can miss it if we, if we read through this chapter too quickly, but right at the beginning in Genesis 17:1, God says, Abram, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. God reinforces the truth that he loves Abraham as he is, but loves him too much to leave him that way. He loves him just as he is, but loves him too much to leave him that way. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us today? Circumcision is still, to this day, the mark of the covenant between us and God. But it's no longer merely a physical circumcision. See, Jesus came, right? And he, he changed everything. He, he fulfilled everything that is talked about in the Old Testament. is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And in his fulfilling, he elevates things to this higher state. And so it's through Jesus that we enter into a covenant of circumcision of our hearts. It's no longer a physical circumcision. It is a spiritual circumcision of our hearts. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes, Colossians 2, 6-14. Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. That sounds like words we just read from Genesis 17. God says, walk before me and be blameless. Paul says, receive Jesus Christ, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And in him, listen to this, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands." By the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, 
by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, he's talking to us, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Wow. That's what, that's what God's covenant in Genesis 17 started for us here today. Jesus nailed our sins to the cross, and in Him we have been made new. We are new creations, new flesh. There is so much here, but what, what matters most is what God started in Genesis 17 is brought to completion in Christ. The covenant that God established with Abraham and sealed with the mark of physical circumcision has continued on today as a covenant established between Christ and us and is now sealed with the mark of spiritual circumcision of the heart. And with this covenant, like with Abraham, comes a call, get this, a call to walk with God and be blameless. There's a call to walk with God, to be blameless, to be set apart, to be holy, to be made new. There are so many uh, stories of Jesus doing this in people's lives throughout the Gospels. I'm reminded, when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the, the woman caught in the act of adultery recorded in John 8. This woman's caught in the act of adultery, and religious leaders bring her before Jesus. They're ready to stone her to death, and they want to get Jesus to throw the first stone at her and join them and killing this woman for her sins. It's a remarkable story. We can't get into it too much, but Jesus does this, this stuff by writing in the sand, and people start to walk away. And before long, it's just Jesus and this woman. And Jesus looks to her and says, has no one condemned you? And she says, no, Lord. And Jesus says to her, then neither do I condemn you. That's Jesus saying to her, I love you just as you are. But that's not all he said to her. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Jesus is saying to her, I love you just as you are, but I love you too much to leave you that way. Don't go on having your affairs. End those relationships, Jesus says to her. And through me, you can do that, he says to her. I think of, of Zacchaeus. Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus, you may know the story, he's a little short tax collector. He became so corrupt, he was robbing people blind. And something stirred in his heart, and when he heard Jesus was coming to town, he ran, he climbed up a tree so he could see above the crowd, just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus sees him up in the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, I'm going to your house for dinner. That's Jesus saying to Zacchaeus, I love you just the way you are. And so they go have dinner. And after that dinner, what happens? Zacchaeus comes out and he publicly confesses of all his sins. He acknowledges everything he's done wrong and he says, I promise to pay back all that I've stolen plus more. A sum multiplied over and over again. Over that dinner, Jesus made it clear, I love you just the way you are, Zacchaeus, but I love you too much to leave you there. Stop stealing, stop robbing people. Change the way you're living because I'm empowering you and equipping you to make that change. Jesus loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And I think this is, this is where our enemy, Satan, is, is doing the most damage among believers in the church right now. Satan, he's a, he's a crafty villain, and I think his tactic now in our world 
is something like this. Please forgive me as I speak on behalf of Satan. I think Satan says something like this. You know, it's okay if people believe that God loves them. Just as long as they don't believe that God wants to change them. I think Satan says it's okay if people believe that God loves them because if they don't allow God to change them, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference in anyone's life. Jesus said this, listen, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. I don't know about you, but that sounds hard, right? Think of the cross that Jesus hung on. Jesus had to carry that cross up a hill himself. And Jesus calls us to do the same. What does your cross look like? What's the cross you have to bear? That's the life Jesus calls us to live. It's hard, but it's the way to the best life possible. But Satan swoops in and says, no, 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 no. God loves you just the way you are. And he just wants you to be happy. Don't take up that big burdensome cross. Just leave it right there. And so we have so many believers who listen to that, fall for that trick, and so many believers are just stuck. They're stuck the way God first found them, unwilling to change because they've fallen for the lie that God loves us just the way they are and they don't believe the whole truth. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. So Jesus, who said, take up your cross and follow me, he also said, he also said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus says, I'm calling you to take up your cross, but I'm gonna help you carry that cross to the best life possible through me. Through me. That's the, that's the love of God that becomes evident through Abraham, through the covenant of circumcision, the covenant that Jesus Christ established with us through spiritual circumcision. Our identity should be anchored to God's love for us, centered on him and who he wants us to be. He loves us too much for us to settle for anything less. He loves us too much for us to settle for anything less. Now, God wants to change us, and he wants to make us new. Why? Well, it's the third and final truth that we have today. God wants to use us to redeem the world. God wants to use us to redeem the world. God says, I love you just the way you are, but I love you too much to leave you there because I want to use you to redeem the world. God makes it clear repeatedly that he wants to use Abraham to redeem the world. God wants Abraham to be the father of many nations, to be the father of God's chosen people, and it's through Abraham that God establishes the covenant of circumcision. God's motive here is redemption, and God has a long history of redeeming. God pursues what the world has snatched away and corrupted, and he takes it back, he redeems it through transformation, and he brings it back to holiness. This is evident again in the very act of circumcision. Circumcision was not a new practice when God established this covenant with Abraham. Other cultures and societies were practicing circumcision. There were other cultures and societies that circumcised males and females. Guess what? That's mutilation. There's nothing sacred, holy, or good about what they were doing with circumcision. But God goes to Abraham and he takes something that is being used for evil and he redeems it into something to be used for good. That's what God does. And he wants to use us to redeem the world. Through Abraham, God redeemed circumcision. The truth becomes even more evident just a few days later. After what happens in Genesis 17, 
Abraham is instantly obedient. God says, I'm establishing this covenant of circumcision. Now you need to go circumcise yourself and all the males in your household, all your male servants, and your son Ishmael. That's a lot of guys that are about to get circumcised. It was a bloody day in that camp. Okay? But he instantly goes and does that. And, and then we go into Genesis 18. That's where Genesis 17 ends. And then we go into Genesis 18. And it's just a few days later, and Abraham's sitting outside of his tent. I imagine him kind of relaxing on his front porch, recovering from the procedure he just went through. And God shows up again. God shows up again. He's passing by, and he stops to see Abraham. And God's on his way to a city called Sodom. You may have heard the story. You may be familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this story is often used to, to, to highlight the wrath and judgment of God, the harshness of God. I've had people, because of this story and others like in the Old Testament, tell me, I don't believe in the God of the Old Testament. He's too harsh and mean and cruel. I believe in Jesus and the God of the New Testament. Newsflash, they're the same. You can't separate one from the other. But if we look at this story and what God is willing to do here, we actually see not God's Harsh wrath, but we see God's great mercy and his grace and his love. And it unfolds with Abraham talking to God. Abraham learns that due to the outcry about the wickedness of the people of the city, God is going to destroy the city and all of its inhabitants. And Abraham, he goes with God, he goes with God to Sodom and and, and this, out, this, this burden is building up so strongly in Abraham that if you read through the interactions, Genesis 18, I encourage you to read it. Abraham almost, he's yelling at God. He says to God, far be it from you, God. And there's an explanation point in that statement. He's yelling at God, far be it from you to destroy this city if there are any righteous people in it. He says, what if, God, if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom, are you going to destroy the whole city? What's God say? He says, No. If there's 50 righteous people, I'll save them and the entire city. And then you, you read what Abraham says, and it's kind of like he lost his bluster a little bit. I think God's response kind of set him back on his heels a bit. He says, okay, okay. What if there's only 45 righteous people in the city, God? God says, no, if there's 45 righteous people in the city, I will not destroy that city. I will save everyone in that city. If there's 45 righteous people, and Abraham keeps going, what if there's only 40? And he says, what if there's only 30? What if there's only 20? And finally he lands on, what if there's only 10 people, 10 righteous people in that city? And God says, no, if there are 10 righteous people in that city, I will spare the entire city. And the way God responds to Abraham shows that God is full of love and grace. And, and I think it shows that God expected Abraham to intercede on behalf of the people of that city because he had called Abraham to be the father of many nations, to be this great, blameless person who would, through him, redeem the world. So here's Abraham trying to do that now, already just a few days after being circumcised through this covenant of circumcision. God didn't reject or dismiss Abraham's pleas. He listened to him, and he was prepared to spare the entire city of Sodom for the sake of just 10 righteous people. Let that sink in for just a minute. 10 believers could have saved a city of hundreds, if not thousands. 10 believers could have saved thousands of people. What does that 
What does that mean for us? If you think, if you ever sit there and think, ah, I'm just one person, my influence is too small to make a difference, 10 people who believed in God could have saved hundreds and thousands of people. I look around this room, and I looked around the room at 9 a.m. There's like 400 people that come to Crossroads on a Sunday. Hundreds more watch online. What could we do in this community if 10 people could have saved an entire city? What could 400 do? If we embrace the reality that God loves us the way we are, he loves us too much to leave us that way, and he wants to use us to redeem the world. God wants to use us to reach and redeem the lost, to make a difference in the lives of those around us. Paul describes this life that comes, that comes as part of the, the covenant of spiritual circumcision. Again in Colossians chapter 3, he carries that circumcision talk on to, to chapter 3 to describe what our life should look like as, as beholders of that covenant with God. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones. Get that? Abraham's chosen by God. He's a chosen people, a chosen race. We are God's chosen ones too. He says, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called... You were called in one body. There's so much echo from Old Testament language and New Testament language because the covenant continued on. This is how God wants us to live. And as he equipped and empowered Abraham to live the life he was called to live, God equips and empowers us to live the life he has called us to live. Just imagine the impact this lifestyle could have on others. God can do so much through our transformed lives. I think it's easy to read about Abraham and treat it merely as an ancient story about an ancient person living in an ancient civilization that has nothing at all in common with our world today in 2022. And part of that's true. Abraham was this amazing person. There are none of us will be like Abraham. But Abraham was a person who was called by God, transformed by God, empowered and equipped by God, And guess what God still does today? He transforms, he empowers, he equips. If we let him, if we let him. The man who Abraham was at his death was not the same man that Abram was when God chose him and told him to head out towards the promised land. But God loved Abraham too much to leave him the way he was. And he changed him. There's an important thing that Abraham did that I want to cover before we close. When God approached him in Genesis 17 and established his covenant, the first, thing, the first thing that Abraham did was fall on his face before the Lord. See, God did not force his way onto Abram. He didn't force his will onto Abraham. He didn't make Abraham become this. He didn't force it. Abraham surrendered himself to God and allowed God to do this work in him. That's what we have to do today. That's what we have to do today. So as we close, I want you to be thinking about these three questions. In your heart right now, prayerfully throughout the week, think of these three questions. Have you accepted that God loves you just as you are? I'm talking to those who haven't even yet accepted Christ. If you're in this room and you haven't accepted Christ, if you're watching online, you haven't accepted Christ, that love that he has for you just as you are, know this, you don't have to do anything first. You don't have to change anything about yourself first. 
God loves you just as you are. He loves you enough to send Jesus Christ to nail your sins on the cross. Accept that love. And then for those who have, are you allowing God to transform you into who he created you to be or are you stuck in the same place he originally found you? What are you holding on to from your old life that's causing you to be stuck? Let it go. Let it go and take up the cross that God has for you and Jesus will help you carry that cross. And finally, do you believe that God wants to use you to make a kingdom impact, to help bring about God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? Are you, do you believe that God wants to use you to make a difference in the lives of others? As I'm standing here thinking of this, I'm thinking of summer serve. You heard the announcement earlier if you were paying attention to the video announcements. There's over 100 positions available to serve in summer serve. That's just serving once or twice throughout the whole summer. If 10 people could have saved an entire city, what could five believing kids do in their classroom? Think about that for a second. And if you're thinking, my role is too small, too small, what could one person do in a small group of kids if 10 could save an entire city? If you're not serving somewhere, what a great opportunity to find a place to serve for the very first time and get a taste for God using you to redeem others. Sign up for summer, sir. Sign, there's no reason a church of our size should have 100 open spots in our kids' ministry for the summer. Make a difference in someone's life. Let God use you to do that. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your power, your majesty, your love, and your grace. And it awes me, God, that you who established his covenant with Abraham and used him to become the father of many nations, you called him out and all those people to be holy and set apart. You do the same thing today in us. God, may we have the courage in our hearts to submit ourselves to you, to fall on our faces before you and let you change us and transform us into who you created us to be. I pray for those who are making that decision for the first time today, Lord, that they would say yes to you and never look back. Oh, we love you, Lord. We thank you that there's breath in our lungs and life in our bones and that you are with us, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.